<laughs> Great to be here. You heard it. You heard it. Oh, we are welcome to our live taping. We're live in the room with just us. <laughs> it's uh, it's me, Ben. It's Tom, uh, Tommy. Uh huh. And Jebby. Pretty soon I'm gonna be famous, a little more famous than you. Certain people will greet my name with a proud and mighty boom. And one glorious day my songs will be played at an airport chili's too. Why, yes, I'm gonna be famous, and you can be famous too. Okay, we did it. And we are here to answer questions. It's our mailbag episode, our first mailbag episode. Oh, they're picking back up with the applause. Hold your damn applause. Yeah. We've been, uh, over the last many episodes, asking for questions. And they have been sent. And they are in our email. And we are going to look at them and answer the ones that we want to answer. Because there's so many good ones, right? Yeah. Yeah, our inbox got flooded immediately. Also, like we said, who should we have as a guest? And we just opened the floodgates because apparently anyone can be famous. It did broaden what famous means all of a sudden. A lot of like, I know a guy who wrote a song. He should be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But keep them coming. We might still have those people on. We don't know. Right. Now, this episode, we're not really going to discuss like guests. We're going to answer the questions, the non-guest suggestions. Unless the questions pertain to guests, right? Sure. It's our first one. It's our first mailbag. And we're off to a great start. Should I read the first question here? Yes. Okay. So the first question comes from Katie Hamilton. Hey, Katie. And Katie says, how do y'all cover bass parts during live shows when Tommy's on regular guitar? Is it a, and they spelled it guitar. Is it a track or does Ben just play low left hand on piano? It is a lot of, well, there's a couple things. It's a lot of low left hand on piano. It's occasional bass synth with my left hand. And very rarely we, we sneak a little in elsewhere with magic. <laughs> right? Should we tell them how? I just thought maybe you, that was like a, you all could finish that center. Well, yeah. I think, so for the musicians out there, for the people in the crowd who play music, they know that we're not a tracky band. They know. Do you want to talk about what a tracky band means? Yeah. Yeah. A tracky, it's like a tacky band. Well, no, we're not making judgments here. <laughs> well, no. So bands, well, and no judgment, but I'd say within our circle and other circles, the reliance on tracks has grown over years and... It's fine. It's cool. But it, it's you're kind of trying to create that production you have in the studio. And a lot of bands play to tracks these days. We also play to tracks. Yeah. But ours are really sparse. It mostly has like drums. It mostly has piano. And it mostly has <laughs> some guitar. And it mostly has vocals. Either mine or Tommy's lead vocals. Yeah. We do really try to limit it because I, I th the, the danger of that whole universe is you can end up with a whole set that's to a track and you can feel like you're just kind of a puppet up there. Yep. And no, and this is no shame on a lot of bands who, who do it, but it, I, I do think it's not an exaggeration to say if you go to a major music festival at this point, I would say 95% of the artists are playing their entire set to Ableton Live, some kind of backing track. And, you know, I think we're proud that we have managed to keep, you know, a majority of our set still kind of within yeah. the realm of us having to juggle five instruments. Now, that's there is a sacrifice to that, which means that we don't sound as big or as produced as a lot of other bands if you see us at a festival. But I do think there's like an indescribable 
magic to the ability to screw up. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I think that's right. And I think also our whole our whole thing has always been like, how do we figure this out with just three people? Yep. Like someone's all always carrying some low end. Someone's always carrying rhythm or this or what. It's it's a there aren't enough instruments in our band to be a band. And I think that limitation has been largely good. Mm-hmm. One addendum as well. So when I said ninety to ninety five percent or whatever of bands are playing to tracks, I don't mean that they put everything in a track. It's just that they're using a supplemental track of some kind that adds like maybe synthesizers or background vocals, some kind of production, something to like make it sound big and tight. Yeah. Not that they're playing every, not that they're doing karaoke up there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Not like us. Not like us. Yeah. And, you know, all the songs from our first three records, there's no track at all. We actually introduced it when we dropped our self-titled record. Take the song Girl, for example, there's a snap in it. We're all busy playing instruments, so there's like a fake snap sample. Do you think if we had like a bass, because Tommy plays bass on that, I play, like we actually have the instruments covered in that. Do you think if we had a fourth member, that person would just do the snap on stage? (laughs) They'd have to, yeah, yeah, they'd have to be a really good snapper, but yes. There's two (laughs) other sounds in the girl track, but we should probably move on. Go on, no, go on, that's good, let's hear it. (laughs) Uh, You know, the producer of that record and I were trying to figure out what, is it a chakra? Yeah, yeah. Chakra. Chakra? So there's I that, this, I check and then somewhere. at the very beginning of the song, there's a little drone. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, we all we shake that around. Do you want to? So, were you going to move on to the next question? Well, no, I was going to say. So Katie had a couple other great questions here. Yeah. So let's just let's see if we can hit these. Can I ask the next one? Because I'm really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, I like this one too. Okay, the question is, which is the natural follow up about curiosity about left hand? Would you all still love the fans if we all turned into worms? Yes. Speaking personally, no. That's true. You do struggle with worms. They're too slow. I love worms, even if they don't love me back. So a worm that loves me back, I mean, that's that's a great worm, in my opinion. My freshman year of high school Latin class with Mr. Selby. If you're a listener, Mr. Selby, what happened to you after that year? You moved schools. Well, actually, I probably am guessing what happened. We learned maybe five words in Latin, and then he and I just played Worms Armageddon pretty much every day of class. So yeah, I like I liked that game. I have to ask, could we double our fan base if we cut them in yeah, half? Yeah. <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah. I have a degree in biology, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, we could? You could. All right. So maybe they should be worms. <laughs> so Katie's on fire here. This uh, The last question is... Yeah, keep it going, Katie. If you got cursed by a witch, and the only way to reverse the curse was to permanently switch instruments in the band... Which ones would you switch to? What is the goal here? To reverse the curse from the witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But are we still trying to be a passable band? Or are we just trying to like... Well, it, it, in my opinion, there's only there's only one lineup that actually somewhat functions. It's not good, but there's only one lineup that actually works with all three of us switching to another instrument. You guys know what it is, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm on drums. <laughs> I, and I'm not saying this is good, <laughs> <laughs> but... Ben is on drums, Jesse's on guitar, and I'm on piano. Yep. It is the only way. It's the only way. Yep. And look, I don't mean to digress, but, you know, <laughs> we all dabble. You can't really digress from wherever we are. Okay, I'm going to digress. <laughs> we, we've di- we digress. I'm going to digress here and say, Tommy on drums. <laughs> That's, well, I, I... Tommy has barely ever touched a drum kit, and it shows. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. Many of you, if you've seen our shows over the last however many years we've been a band, we often have this uh, the wheel, the a wheel of fortune uh, that has a bunch of songs on it. And one of the songs we like putting on is Hold It In Supreme, which is where we then play Hold It In, but switch instruments. And we do switch the first time to this version. And it's now 
it's actually not as bad as it used to be because we can all kind of just play that song now, right? I can play it on drums. Tommy can play it on piano. Jess can play it on drums, uh, on guitar. But when it does Supreme Supreme and I have to go to guitar, Tommy has to go to drums and Jesse goes to piano, it's just, it's a, we're bad. Yeah. We're really bad. Worse than usual. I was hanging with our, our mutual friend, Corey Brecker, and Corey's a great drummer and he sees us in Chicago. And he saw one of our Halloween shows a couple of years ago. And he went to the bathroom at the encore, I guess. And when Fat Bottom Girls started, like, I'm playing drums on that, but he didn't know it. And he told me that he was like, I was listening, he was like, man, Jesse's not as good as I thought he was. <laughs> and then he came up, and then he came up, and he was like, oh, Ben's actually okay at drums. And I'm like, that's like the mix, right? Like, I can't play drums in any way that makes me sound passable for a drummer. But for a piano player that can't play drums, it's okay. Yeah. I've always loved that. You know, when someone first plays guitar, even if they're like playing the right notes, it like sounds out of tune. There's something about it. When you when you're not a drummer and you hit drums, like they don't sound right. You can tell. They just don't. I've been learning guitar this year just because. <laughs> and I tried to do a solo like I had a solo that I wrote, a guitar solo, and I was like, I'm just gonna play it in. I can I know these notes. And it was like the worst shreds. I did it 50 times, and I was laughing so hard. It's really a hard instrument. It sounded terrible. Great. I, I get to keep my job. No, it's funny. You, you, I remember you talking to me about this as well, because you were like, you wanted to learn how to solo. And I was yeah. like, why? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I mean, I've devoted my life to that, and even I don't get asked to do it very often. Like, <laughs> right. you know? It does seem fun. It seems nice. You know, like bend notes. Yeah, but like I think you would have to really love listening to guitar solos <laughs> to want to play them. Yeah, no, that's not it. That's not in the cards <laughs> for me. You know, I listened to Trey Anastasio just noodle for hours and and, and I'm raptured. Yeah. Uh, a question here from Ben Lockin says, loving the pod so far. My question is, how far in advance do you have to start planning a tour and how do you choose which cities? Is it as simple as where you have had good past attendance? I like this question because I think a lot of times people get mad when we skip a city or don't play it as often as we'd like or, or whatever it is. So if that's the case, just reach out to his name is Eric Sells. It's his <laughs> fault. No, we, we're very lucky. We have a we have a, an incredible booking agent who has been a supporter of ours and we've worked with him for, I don't know, we're at like 12 years now. Maybe more than that, actually. And anyway, he works with our manager, and they plan these tours based on what cities land on what day of the week, because you don't want to play Chicago on a Tuesday, because we can bring a lot of people to Chicago if it's not on a Tuesday. And then it's a lot of it's just like where, where we've toured over the years, where we have fan bases, and where the shows continue to be good. If we go to a city and no one shows up, it's a hard case to, to, to go back. We definitely talk about, like, when we have a bad show in a city, we, we will kind of jokingly say, like, it's off the map. <laughs> and that that has happened where, you know, we've had attendance go down in a city and we just, it's just, it's off the map. It's over. It's over. Our egos cannot take it. Where did that happen? I want to call some people out. No, but seriously, like, where has that happened? I, I'm trying to... I feel like maybe, like, Tampa or Boise? Boise or, like, yeah. We had that rough show in Tampa where the, the promoter came in and threw out all of our rider stuff, including our bag, as we were packing <laughs> yeah. up. He was a big fucking asshole, and he just started, like, throwing all of our stuff away. Like, we're standing there trying to leave, and he's throwing our <laughs> actual items into a garbage bag. Okay, so what if, like, that determined where we play is who's going to treat us like rock and roll royalty? Like, who's going to treat us right, you know? The bar is just don't throw our stuff away. <laughs> that's, that's but, I mean, to, to, to answer the, to go back to the, the original premise of the question, I think the real answer is we look at a list of cities and we think about if we like the people in 
the general makeup of the people in those cities. And if we don't like it, then we don't play there. <laughs> and if we like the sports teams of that city, then yep. we play there. Yeah. It's all about the sports teams. <laughs> no, it is very complicated. And honestly, we're not privy to most of it. Thank God, because it's very complicated. And Eric does a great job. And a lot of it's really stuff that's way above our pay grade in terms of, you know, this city offered a higher guarantee on a Tuesday night than this city and, you know, juggling all those details. Yeah. I do think that it starts big. It starts and like everything y'all said was correct, but I feel like it starts big. It's like, where can we play? Like, where are their fans? And that's fortunately we can play a lot of cities, but then it becomes logistics, right? It's like, well, okay, what's available? And we also don't want to be on tour for three months, you know? Ben, you want to take the next question from Eric? No, I've been trying to, I've just been trying to play a song for you guys this whole time. Is that coming through? Oh, yeah. You're playing Kings of Leon? What is this? No. <laughs> why, why we play certain cities. If I hear just one thing to say before my last breath fades away, keep your hair way up in the chaos and never let them get you down. Never let them get you down. Keep hoping and dreaming. Thank you so long into the chorus. With a little you might have to explain why you did that. I can't, I can't so long. So so we choose our cities based on the sports teams, and that is a song that Scott Stapp wrote and recorded for the Florida Marlins. Okay, so, <laughs> Ben, you've been duped, and Tommy opened my eyes to this. Wait, is this not... That's not the song about the Marlins. That's just his song? That's a different... I don't know which came first. Tommy, back me up. Oh, you will soar. He rewrote it, Marlins will soar. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. So this, this song has broad appeal, baby. <laughs> And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. all right. If you all right. so, if you want to know what the hell is going on, we want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Yeah, in our second episode of this podcast, this makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yep. So you can listen to clips in the second episode of this podcast. I do p- play clips of Scott Stabs singing about baseball. I'm still working on playing it for everybody, and it's happening. Yeah, it's YouTube. Yeah, I did it on YouTube. Here we go. Let's play ball. It's game we want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Got it. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. Keep hoping. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> that did not play. <laughs> wow. I just want to say we're not ripping on Tampa. We're ripping on the one guy who threw out all of our food. We like Tampa. We would love to go back to Tampa. But every time I play there, just this guy just throws our stuff away. <laughs> it's off the map. It's off the map. It's really rude. All right. Eric has been listening since 2008. Quote, I still really like Let Live and Let Ghosts, but I think the production of your albums has improved since its release. No. Would you ever recap? I know. What are the odds? Would you ever consider re-recording and remixing the album, either keeping it close to the original or taking a new spin on it? Well, yes. Well, I, I'm probably the the member who has brought up this project several times. It, it's sort of one of those things that I just sort of bring up in hoping that I'm 
going to manifest it probably for the last like, you know, five years at, at minimum. But yeah, I would actually really love to hear a Let Live and Let Go. I guess you would call it Taylor's version. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like the special edition, you know, because for one, there's like all this stuff from the apocalypse rock opera that I still do kind of want to record and just hear that sort of college brain full thing. But then also have a redone version of Let Live and Let Go as that same project. Because yeah, I agree. I think our production has gotten better. I think our voices have gotten better. And I would like love to hear those songs with just a little extra love. So that's my take on it. Well, if you've listened to Let Live and Let Goes part one and part two, you know that we did the whole thing in like six days, which is mental. Yeah. Now we spend six days on one song. But yeah, I think that's a thing we should do. We could do it in the studio here. Maybe we'll keep the drum tracks. They sound pretty good. The drums are pretty good. The drums do sound really good. We figured out how to record drums, though. New record sounds good. All right. Sophia, with a last name, I'm just not going <laughs> to... Don't, don't screw it up, man. <laughs> I'm not going to try. Okay. Sophia K. Hey, here's my question for Jukebox the Toast. If all three of you were in a horror movie, who's dying first, and who lives until the end of the movie? So excited for your newest episode of the podcast. I am dying so fast. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, if it was like a cabin in the woods, like if getting lost was an issue, you would be, it would be immediate for you. Yeah. Immediate. Tommy? What's go what's going on? I don't know what's going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna get naked and take a shower. <laughs> There's no horror movie where the guy who gets lost lives to the end. It can't be done. Yeah. I believe it. Oh, it would be it'd be like in the opening credit. There'd be credits after like my death, you know, opening credits. Well, Ben, who makes it longer, you or me? I would hope that you and I would just make it to the end together. You know, we'd be both <laughs> like hacking the hacking the person to pieces together. Yeah. I don't know. I'm almost you know, I'm almost a redhead sometimes. If I was a full redhead, I would I would definitely be dead before you. That's true. Because that's just how it works for redheads in movies. But <laughs> that's, true. that's a great question. Great question. I'm also curious how many redheads have made it to the end of horror movies. They're they're only there to get murdered. That's just how it works. Yeah. That's tough. It's a tough world out there. Um Steven Byers asks, Oh, this is great, because this is this is in reference to an earlier episode of the pod. Steven says Tommy, what is your favorite bird of all time? Jesse, what's your favorite tree of all time? And Ben, what is your favorite bug of all time? <laughs> <sighs> Tommy, do you want to start? I feel like you know birds very well. I do. Well, I know birds well enough at this point that asking a favorite feels weird because it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like asking a musician what their favorite note is or something. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, I don't know. I like notes, you know? B flat. I, I really don't know, which I know is kind of a dumb answer. You know what? I know it's chicken. I saw, I, no, I, I can tell you a favorite one I saw today, and it's close to a chicken. Great. It was the California quail, and I heard it cooing in a bush, Aww. and I thought, gosh, I sure love the California quail. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing. That's not, I'm not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful uh, California quail. That's so nice. What's your favorite tree, Jesse? So it's a, it's a red, I'm not going to make this interesting because it's not. It's a red maple. I'm from New England. Love my maples. They're the best. Red maples are just, they're so cool. They got red Samaras, the little helicopters. Oh, yeah. They turn red in the autumn. Sugar maple, that's like a little too mainstream of a response. I'm going red maple, baby. And I'm going to say gnats. <laughs> that's your favorite book. Um, yeah, I love gnats. They're everywhere. They, they, they always travel with their friends. They can bite. I do, I do like a good gnat. 
Ben, have I ever told you about the first comic book series I drew as a kid? I'm sure you, I don't remember it though, no. Well, I, I, I made comics and sold them in elementary school and middle school. I would Xerox them, the Kinko's or whatever. And they were very detailed. I had like a bunch of different episodes. But anyways, the series was Natman. Tommy, you realize you've had the same jobs since elementary school. It's actually true. But it was, it was, it was Natman. That was the superhero. Natman. Natman. What, is, what did Natman do? Uh, it was kind of like the tick. It was like a superhero spoof, you know, like he was an idiot. Okay. Man, yeah. this is the thing. You just, you are who you are right away. So true. Okay. So going off of favorite bug of all time, Scarlet Dreamer has given us a bunch of, of bug facts. No questions, just facts. Just facts. Because a couple episodes ago, when you were talking to the uh, the bug expert, you know, we wanted to know more about bugs and Scarlet Dreamer knows a lot. <laughs> Number one, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it turns into mush in the cocoon and completely reconstructs itself. I do think that's crazy because I, I knew that they kind of dissolved, but I would have assumed their organs maintain themselves or something. But the fact that the, it literally becomes goo is crazy. How does the goo stay organized? How does it know? It's crazy. How does it know? How does it know? It must turn like into stem cells or something, you know, like it must have genetic plans to do its thing. It must. But I didn't. That's fucked up, to be honest. I'll look it up on Google. <laughs> that was genuine <laughs> laughter that came out sounding fake, you know? Mine was fake Sorry. laughter that actually ended up being quite genuine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Worms have five hearts. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not doing a lot with it, but sure. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why you can cut them into pieces. That makes sense. It is weird that out of the, you know, these are randomly selected questions here, and out of the six, two have talked about worms. <laughs> cut my worm into pieces because it has five hearts. <laughs> All right, next fact. This is an opinion. Moths are just as cool and amazing as butterflies. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's an opinion. That's, that's an opinion, man. That's an opinion. So, cool. I'm just going to keep going with these because I'm not reading them ahead of time. Ants follow each other exclusively by pheromone trails, which means if they lose the trail, they can get stuck following each other in a circle. It's a phenomenon called a death spiral. I <laughs> okay. There's an actual species of ant out there that when eaten tastes like lemons and fittingly, they're called lime ants. Why are they called lemon? I, I just I ad-libbed. I ad-libbed that. They're called lemon ants. That is Scarlet cool. wants us to know that they've never eaten one before. They're having a lemon party, huh? <laughs> Easy. Okay. Let's, um, we should probably move on. From yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That is what a lemon party is, isn't it, Jesse? That is. It's a bunch of guys in a circle eating ants. <laughs> That's true. Before we move on, when was your last lemon party, Jesse? Uh, I'm having a lemon party this weekend, actually. I sent you an invite. You did. I got it. I you guys, literally the year 2005 called and wants its yes. joke back. That joke is 20 <laughs> years old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, old internet memes are like 20 years old now? Yeah. Ugh. I wouldn't have said it, but Ben said lemon party on a previous taping. <laughs> Oh, okay. We can keep dropping yeah. it. That's cool. I like ants. I like ants. I like plug-in artists we respect, you know? Lauren has a great question that's very Ben-specific here. Uh, let's see. My fiance and I are huge fans. I have a question about the piano ostinato in Summer Sun. I have a vague memory that it's borrowed or inspired by Chopin, mm -hmm. but I, or Chopin, as I call him, but I can't remember what piece. I'd love to hear more about that and maybe other hidden classical Easter eggs in the discography if there are any others. Yeah. So it is It is indeed from a Chopin nocturne uh, in C-sharp minor. It's a posthumous... Uh, piece, which means it was released after he died. I'm going to play it. And uh, yeah, I was I was playing th through this piece and I fell in love with that pattern and, and 
sort of how I started learning to write and then sort of continued to write and be inspired is by just taking a classical piece and, and an idea or a theme and just messing with it. This is that piece. Hopefully this just plays. Wait. Yeah. Can you hear that? So right at the end of this piece, it's all in minor. So that bum 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 pattern is minor throughout the entire piece into the last couple measures, and then it goes into major, and I love that. And so I wrote uh, Summer Sun based off of that uh, little uh, repeating figure. Wait, wait till he hears about that. He's gonna be pissed. Yeah, good thing he's decomposing. Hey. <laughs> What's his name? Just got away with it. It's fine. Ed Sheeran. Yeah, you can rip off songs again. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. yeah. I don't like. Like I can't remember Ed Sheeran's name. Yeah. You can do this now. You can just take songs. It's fine. I'm curious if you guys have the same take on that lawsuit because I was kind of going like I both think that Ed Sheeran totally ripped off "Let's Get It On" and I had that thought the first time I ever heard that song and I think he should be legally allowed to do that. Absolutely. And I also believe that it could have been an accident. It's possible. Like, I think it's absolutely like you just write songs all the it's it is such a like a common groove with a common progression. There's, there's a world in which I think it was an accident because it's hard to get that close and not have it be more exact because it's not it never quite lines up. It just feels similar at times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I agree with you guys. And I don't know how you feel about the statement, but I think that like a great melody can be thought of independently. By multiple people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and this one's not even a melody. Yeah. It's just that the vibe of the song. Oh, that's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's like the Blurred Lines one. So the Marvin Gaye estate, I think, is just sort of like, let's just see how far we can take this. <laughs> They're <laughs> yeah. like, Leo, let's get it on. Uh, wow. uh, I don't, I'm trying to think about what other like classical Easter eggs are hidden. I know there's others, but now I'm, trying, I'm struggling to remember what they are. Different songs. You know, I wrote Schizophrenia when I was practicing... You know, a piano figure of repeating notes on a like how how fast I can play one note with two fingers on the same hand, and that's how that starts. Da, 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 da. I gotta think about this. I, I don't know if there are more. It's like devils on our side or something like that. Like no, that's just no. a that's just a progression I I liked, but that's not a ripoff. Okay. I mean, there's songs that like I can draw references to, but no, that's like that's the the only one that's like the song. You should do more of that. It's cool. I've, I've got I've, I've been working on this uh this piece uh, these pieces based off the Schumann piano piece that I'm releasing, but I got I got to I got to figure it out. There's more. This is a fun thing to play with. Chopping and Schumann. Chopping and Schumann. And Sheeran. Chilling and chopping. <laughs> chopping and chewing. That's Billy Nelson. And Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> the greats. Chilling and chopping. Chopping and chewing. <laughs> so good. Xavier Smith asks, "Hey all, if you were one of those toys that spits catchphrases at the push of a button, what would you say? Thanks and take care. Thanks, Xavier. What's your catchphrase? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have one. You guys know mine. Jesse, let's just say one of us is behind you and we just like poke you real good in the ribs. What do you say? Can you poke yourself in the ribs and just see what comes out? Yeah. Yes. Can you do it? Can you do it for everybody? Yes, I can. <laughs> is Haley home? I don't think so. Because I would just text her to come give you a good rib poking. Let me text her. I'll text her. You answer the question. What was the question? What's your catchphrase? It's yes. My catchphrase, and I, I don't mean to be insensitive to anyone with a lisp. I really don't. But my catchphrase, for better or worse, <laughs> is yes with a TH. Right, guys? Come on. No, I've never heard you say that before. All right. <laughs> Jesse, you're the most catchphrasey person in this band by far. You and your brother have this in common. Yeah. Where you guys always have like a phrase that's like, the go-to for like 
six months. But I would agree that Yeth has stuck around for like a, over a decade for sure. Right. It's true. We have like Dankadin. Yeah, Dankadin. Yeah, yes. That's good. T- Togo, which you, you, which now you think is so normal, you say to people at restaurants. I do this. Oh, I worked in restaurants, and I would say you need that Togo <laughs> like all the time. I do that, and if people don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Next to the you. <laughs> yeah. But actually, Tony Volpe, our beloved sound guy, he has a beautiful way of saying everything wrong. Remember when we got like empanadas <laughs> in Pittsburgh? I thought about that like yesterday. He says everything wrong. What did he say? I don't remember. He's like, sure, I'll get some. Nah, what's the Tony voice? He's like, sure, I'll get some. Men. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll get some. Uh... Uh, that, yeah. That sounds good. I'll get some empanadas. Some empanadas. <laughs> and he goes, what, during sound check, he goes, mandolin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, he, he says shit wrong. My favorite Tony moment in those last tours, we had like a bottle of coldies, right? The Like the dissolvable zinc pills that you let like dissolve in your mouth. And like, you know, Tommy, you and I are just feeling like crap because we always feel like crap on tour. And we're taking them and Tony was like, oh, can I have one? And we're like, Sure. And he takes it, and he he's he's holding a bottle of orange juice, and he chugs he puts it in his mouth, chugs it, swallows it whole, and chugs the orange juice. And the three instructions for this thing are: let it dissolve <laughs> in your mouth, don't drink any fluids, and avoid citrus. And he just went for it, and we we're like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "What? What is this thing? What am I supposed to do with it?" There are so many rules for zinc; it's crazy. Yeah. Also, empty stomach. That zinc will make you nauseous. PSA: Don't take zinc on an empty stomach. He had probably just eaten a whole bag of. Uh, beef jerky so i think his stomach was fine that's true but <laughs> yeah there are a lot of rules ben do you have a catchphrase i there's a thing i there's a, a group of guys i play soccer with and we go on trips it'll be a drinking game that if you'd say the thing or do the thing that you do you have to drink and mine is just saying great i say great a lot oh that's great or i text great great that's like my word that's my go-to word. it's not a catchphrase um my catchphrase is probably like hey hey ho right um but i'm still working on it yep you know, I do this. I, I lift stuff from friends, but I feel like that has some Zach Jones energy to it. No, the great Zach, such a positive dude. Our buddy Zach. Yeah, but he says it like that. He's like, great. No, he doesn't. He goes, great. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's always like, oh, great. <laughs> Tommy? Guys, do I have a catchphrase? I, I can't think of. I don't know if I have one. Your catchphrase is just your your voice, your your country, your, your redneck trucker boy. Oh, the old man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Jesse's been pushing you towards like hog related things lately. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to have a segment. This is the let's just segment. Let's go ahead and segment. I had a bit with Jesse for a tour cuz Jesse's like one of those people where if you do something funny for him, he's like he wants to show it to everybody. And I wanted to do a bit where I would make him go crazy because he would think it was just a figment of his own imagination and it didn't actually exist. And so, yeah, my bit was walking up to him and just whispering in his ear in the voice of an old, (laughs) terrible old redneck man, rancher, the process of how to to skin and prepare a hog. How to process (laughs) an animal for, I guess, a butcher. I don't know. But I like went. I went as far as watching a whole video on YouTube where a rancher explained how to do it, just so that I'd have the right lingo. So I'd be like, "Well, first you've got to, you've got to <laughs> slit it all the way down the belly, and you know, like the whole." Anyways, that was that was a bit for a tour. But it is true. Jesse would do that, or Tommy would do that to you in private, make you laugh. Then we'd be like at dinner with like people we don't know, and then you'd just be like, "Hey, Tommy, do the voice." <laughs> <laughs> without context i get nervous if the conversation is like really really uh normal i i get nervous and i i have to you know throw some chaos in there <laughs> yeah 
Should we keep moving? Yeah, let's keep moving. Uh, Kendra Lesh has a multi-part question, but most of them are the same question. Will you bring back Juke Lantern? Yes. When will you bring back Juke Lantern? Soon. If you brought back Juke Lantern, what would the prizes be? Juke Lantern. Uh, so that's that's this is for our. Uh, at one point, we had a we had a pumpkin carving competition for Halloween. We should bring that back. We should bring it back. We should. We should do a prize this year. Now, I do want to just say quickly that I think it was our fourth record self-titled. The release date was in October. And, you know, it's like, it's tough these days. You got to think of some sort of angle to make your band interesting and put that on the internet. And I just remember thinking like, okay, we're like a ghost band. We have a record dropping in October. And I like Halloween, but that was around. I I remember us doing the Juke Lantern thing when I also promised. Didn't I say like if we get X number of likes, like we'll eat a thousand candy corn? We made a mistake. <laughs> we will eat one candy corn for every like or retweet, and it went super viral. And it was way more than we could have ever done. We should. What we should have done is filmed it and done a whole thing, and then we could have been like you know YouTube sensations. But we, we messed up. Yeah, we promised to eat candy corn, like an insane amount of candy corn. It was thousands, thousands and thousands of candy corns. And we ended up just eating none because candy corn sucks. I think we thought it'd be a funny thing to get like 50 or 60 and then it... Yeah. But Juca Lantern, that's cool. Let's let's bring it back. But I always I always cringe a little when I think about like myself trying to like promote our the release of our album by uh, talking about Halloween crap. That's literally what our entire career is based off of at this point. <laughs> Uh, the further questions are, who would you like to collab with next? We just went on tour with Wildermiss, and they're so cool, but they're too cool. We're, we can't, we don't sound anything like them. It'd be fun to play with them. Yep. I've always thought Regina Spector would be a cool collab for us. That would be fun. Billy Joel. Ooh. We need to get him to write a song. Get him out of retirement. Yeah. Okay. And then their next question was, Kendra's next question was, how do you deal with performance anxiety? Do you guys get performance anxiety? I don't really. Not as much as I should. For as much as I screw up on stage. Uh, no, I, you know, I get it on a, like a particularly big show if we are not well enough rehearsed. It's really just like a, a big Halloween show. If it's the first one, I'll get a little nervous. But uh, look, that's not an answer to the question either. I think you just sort of push through it. I don't know. I always think anxiety is actually a good thing. It means like in a, in a show setting, like if you're nervous, it means like you care and you want to do a good job and like you're you're in it. And sometimes it doesn't matter how much how prepared you are. You just kind of kind of got a bulldoze through it you can do all your like deep breathing exercises or your i don't know yeah i i definitely get it sometimes i don't know i get it and i don't i don't have a consistent way of dealing with it but one of my new favorite ones is to if we're playing a big show like i did this in chicago i think if we're playing a big quote important show i will literally just pretend that it's like one of the shitty shows from like, like, you know, one of the cities that had, you know, 50 people or something. No disrespect to Tampa. No disrespect <laughs> to Tampa. Yeah. yeah. No, but I will. I'll just, and I, I'll make sure that I'm like, it's a paradox. Cause like, I think I'll make sure that I enjoy the, the bigness of the show. But remember that like the night before when I played wherever, you know, it was pretty chill. And the other thing I will say is that I don't know how you guys are. If I'm playing for people I know, I'm way more nervous than playing. Like I could play for thousands of strangers. I don't give a shit. But uh, if it's like our musician friends, I got to be good. Jesse, you and I were in the, I can't remember what show we were going to. We were in Newark and there was a, one of those like play a piano situation things. Yeah. Remember when I sat down to like play something and people started watching? Yeah. 
That is the most nervous I have been in years. I couldn't do it. I forgot the lyrics to Somebody to Love, and I was like in a full body sweat. I hated it. <laughs> it was like in front of like three kids. Three kids. No one cared. No one's listening. They're in Newark. They're just trying to get to their, you know, Auntie Annie's pretzels. Like they don't care about me. But that's, I, I like, I'm way more nervous about like playing at a party or at a friend's house. I think it's sort of what you're saying. Like I, I like being on stage and doing that, but I don't. I don't know. It doesn't scratch an itch for me to, to, you know, play at a public piano or thing. I'll do it, but it, that makes me way more nervous than any show we've played in the last 10 years. It is vulnerable. Yeah. No, it's true. I've never been as nervous at a jukebox show as I am after Thanksgiving dinner when my relatives were like, why don't you play us a song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm way more, uh, that's, that's, the, that's terrifying. I just think some people love that. Some people are like, oh, I'm going to play now, and they just do it, and that, I just, oof. That's an interesting thing is I, I feel like when I was younger, I had like a bunch of tunes I could kind of pull out at a party. And at this point, there's like a weird specialization thing that happens where I do what I do in the band yeah. and I write what I write. And if somebody wanted me to just like play at a dinner party, it would not be like the correct thing for the, any dinner party. Yeah, what song? I don't know any songs. What do you want me to play? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know songs. That's literally how I feel. <laughs> I don't know any songs. Which is weird. You want to hear Victoria? You don't know it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is a quickie. Sandy asks, in the first part of the making of Let Live and Let Ghosts, you guys mentioned that you were students at GW. What did you study? I was a music major and the recipient of the Barry Manilow Award for Musical Excellence. <laughs> Look it up. Jeppy? Oh, uh, I majored in biology and I minored in psychology. And I was the recipient of Jack Squat. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesse was, Jesse, you were on a pre-med track. I, I was. I, I don't know how. I was seriously considering it while also knowing that like I would be a horrible doctor. <laughs> but I, I, I did take all the pre-med classes. You took you took organic chemistry pretty seriously for someone who wasn't going to yeah. be a doctor, though, yeah. you know? Oh, no, I, I took school seriously. I don't know what the hell, like, I, my brother and I and my sister, we all, like, worked our asses off in school and got good grades, and it was just kind of our way of dealing with life. But, yeah, I took some, I took, like, organic chemistry, molecular biology. I took some hard classes, and I studied journalism, and I minored in music. Let's do a couple more. Caitlin Calandria, do you ever wish you'd handle the situation differently with the band, specifically with decisions on how you've approached the music industry and or creating music, i.e., do you ever wish you had taken a more mainstream route to become a bigger name? <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's a really interesting question. I think we... No, I never, I never wish we had taken a more mainstream route. Well, we, tr we tried. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We didn't. Yeah, we never tried to like be the like a pop band. We just thought indie music was like bigger than, and there was a there was a higher ceiling. But we were never like. I just think about like the you know the Atlantic Records guy who was like, you got to do X, Y, and Z, and like we no, we didn't do that. Like it's true. there were things that we could have done to be you know douchey and whatever, but um, we never did. This is this funny thing with us, right? And then I'll let you guys answer. But I think it'll be similar. We didn't know the choices that we were making. We were trying to survive, and we were trying to make music that we thought was cool, and the three of our brains together ended up with what we had. And I don't know if there... We didn't have any other options. Like, there wasn't another path that I think we could have viably taken at any point in the career of our band and still been our band. We toured because we had to tour. We signed a publishing deal because we needed to pay rent. 
We ended up on the labels because the labels were on because those were the only ones that were interested. We just we took what we could get. Do you agree with that? I think that's true. If if I look back on there are a couple things that I think I would have handled differently in hindsight. One of them being like you only get a first album once. And I think that we didn't realize kind of the weight that your first album has and continues to have on your career. And especially our first album for whatever reason. And so there is there is part of me that wishes we spent just a a little more time and maybe come back to Let Live and Let Ghost at that time. Just because it took us so it that album took us so far and there is part of me that wonders if it sounded a little better, in particular, if my vocal performances were better, would that have helped us early on? You know, who knows? The other one is, I think just generally, I think like, I kind of just wish we'd recorded more music at every stage of our career. There's lots of songs that, you know, I, I think, and I think like something that backs this up is like often the last song we recorded for any record that like slid on at the last second ends up being one of the best. And so that there's, granted, we, you know, we always had a budget that we were kind of fighting against, but I think there are times we could have prioritized just documenting as much music as possible in those eras as we could have, rather than sort of cutting the babies in half. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, we just didn't have any money. Like a lulla, right? Yeah, yeah. We should just put on the record. But you know, there were all these different, like, there's all these industry standards of, like, you need B-sides, you need the bonus stuff, you need the stuff you add on later. And it's like, all that's saying is, like, you need songs that, that we're going to pretend you don't care as much about and put it on later to just, like, help give a boost. It's Instead of being like, just put out all your music all the time because it's great. I don't know. It's always changing. All People always think that there's a way you need to put out music in any given era. And it's always maybe right for six months and then flawed in all these ways. But right. yeah, there's songs that get lost. Just a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, this doesn't exactly answer the question, but you know, rather than answer what we would have done differently, it's sometimes like I will imagine what it would be like if, let's say our first record kind of blew up at the time, you know, instead it was a grassroots. I mean, we came back to the same cities and did the slow climb to being able to play for a thousand people in cities across the country. But let's say that first record kind of blew up. I think we would have felt compelled to stay a weird indie piano rock band, right? But instead what happened is we put out a weird record and we, this whole time we're kind of just being us, but still like we put out a weird record Second record, also weird, but maybe a little more sugary. And we did we did dabble with stuff that was a little bit more simple and poppy. Let's say like a postcard kind of blew up or a girl. I think that would have maybe informed our creative decisions a little bit. We probably would have tried to stay simple. You know, instead what's happened is we, we do both, right? I think we have our like jump started, we have our weird ass tunes, and then we have our kind of simple tunes. But I do imagine like if a single had really blown up, we probably would have let that guide us more, which isn't necessarily a good thing. So we either would have let it guide us or we would have felt pressure to have it guide us. You know, maybe that's what I mean. Yeah, we would have felt a little pressure. I mean, it's certainly true that, you know, people that we even know peripherally in our long music journey, the, the, the artists that we've seen that have had one particular song really explode, that I, I, I haven't seen it always be a good thing. Right. Like it can really put pressure on you in a bad way, I think, as well. Right. I mean, be kind of confusing. You know, so I feel very lucky that we're, we're, you know, our sort of like appeal has diversified itself. I think that's really a beautiful thing. 
Yep. If you never have a hit, you have nothing to compare it to. <laughs> yeah. So you just keep on putting out music. I will say we do have a tendency to like a, a fan favorite or just like an obvious focus track will will come up and we'll be like, oh, why didn't we make that a single? You know, that's kind of happened a few times. Because you don't know. We never know. I mean, yeah, we've yeah. talked about this. Like anyone says they can, they know what a single is. They're, they're wrong. You just, I mean, maybe once in a thousand songs, like that's obviously the hit. But like, you don't know. Record labels don't know. Managers don't know. You just, you know, the people will choose. Yeah. What's up, Seth? What's up, Seth? <laughs> you don't know? We don't know either. So you guys want to close with one more question here? Yeah, let's wrap this up. So this last question comes from, it's a very specific one, from Lydia Garlinghouse, who says, I just listened to the most recent pod where you mentioned that Tally Hall was a big influence. Every time I listen to Raise a Glass on Cheers, it reminds me so much of something from Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum. I was just wondering who wrote this song, and was it purposefully emulating Tally Hall? I'm loving all these little details and behind the scenes on your music. So I wrote raise a glass and my idea for it was kind of as like a I wrote it kind of as like a lullaby to myself but I wanted it to be kind of like if you know good night which is the last track on the white album which is a song that Paul wrote for Ringo to sing it's such a beautiful song so I, I kind of Jesse singing that to me I think was like just like added as like a special flair to that one and the tally hall thing you're hearing I wouldn't say the song itself was inspired by Tally Hall, but definitely overtly, you know, we love Tally Hall and especially that chorusy section with the oh, I think us knowing that band and being a fan of them is like that was an overt reference to them and an homage because we love them and they kind of gave us license to do something like that, which is not typically something you get licensed to do in rock music. So tip of the cap to to them. Yeah. Bravo, Tally Hall. Bravo. And bravo, Tommy. And bravo, Tommy. Also, uh, the intro, Century in the Making. Sorry to jump in, but uh, Tommy, wouldn't this uh, inspiration apply to, to that intro to the record, Century in the Making? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. Like, I don't think people have really picked up on it that they actually have like a lot of the same melodies happening. But yeah, they're, I, I view them as kind of like mirror image versions of the same song, sort of. Yeah. Do you guys have anything I just want to close with? No, I mean, I think, look, Tally Hall's uh, just saying that they're a great band. I feel like we've referenced them a lot with various little things. And uh, let's end with a with a question. How are you guys doing? <laughs> How's everybody's nights going? Should I be honest about how I'm doing right now? <laughs> yeah, 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 you should. yeah, yeah. If you made it through the episode, you should. You, people deserve to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have COVID right now for the second time, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing fine, which is why I'm taping this podcast episode. But I that's nailing it. That's what I got going on. How about how about you boys? I'm doing better than Tommy, which I, I wake up every morning and I go, Today's gonna be great. I'm gonna do better than Tommy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm doing great. And your COVID and your COVID your COVID, Jesse? Your COVID's ben? good? I haven't taken a test in, in a long time. I mean I feel okay. That's the key. That is the key. <laughs> you've still got me beat, though. You got you've had it third time, three times, yeah, right? Three, right? I dude? lost count. Oh yeah, three. That's a Dead. that's a turkey. You got a turkey. Yeah. Remember when I got a turkey and then I got a shot of wild turkey? Do you remember that in Philly? Of course, I remember oh, that. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what was it? What was it called? What was that place? Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl. Um, no, North Bowl. Right. North Bowl in Northern Liberties. Yeah. yeah. Yep. In Philadelphia. Yeah, North Bowl. I got a turkey in the final frame. Right. That's what they're called. Right. Frame. Yeah. Do people know what a turkey is? <laughs> 
You're the bird guy. A turkey's like a large goose. <laughs> yes. So yeah, turkeys when you throw a bowling ball into a turkey, yeah. Three times in a row. Three in a row. That's right. A turkey is three strikes in a row in the game of American bowling. <laughs> how are you, Ben? <laughs> yeah, how are you, Ben? I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty good. It's really, uh, it's, uh, I haven't put the air conditioner in in the studio yet, and it's really warm in here. So I'm having a nice, I'm having a nice sweaty time. Uh, and it's great. This has been a great episode. We have so many more questions. We're going to have to do another one of these. And look, if you are a listener and you've made it this far and you have more questions, send it to famishpod at gmail.com. F A M E I S H P O D at gmail.com. <laughs> It makes it so easy to remember. <laughs> That's the song. F A M E I S H P O D at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh, look, assuming we don't edit this out because we haven't got it up, up yet, check out our Patreon. It should be up and going. Woo! And uh, we're going to have a bunch of bonus content and a bunch of jukebox of go silliness up there. Hell yeah. And things are rolling now. I mean, we. Oh, we're rolling. I think it's safe to say that. If you are listening to an episode, we will have recorded it probably within. We, we would have. Rec- we will have recorded it a few weeks prior, maybe maybe even a week prior. I'm gonna. Re- I'm gonna. Re- if you are listening to an episode, we will have recorded it. <laughs> if you're listening to an episode, it's being taped live, and what you're hearing is a live broadcast. If you are listening to an episode, turn around because we're there. We're talking in your ear. That heat on the back of your neck. That's Jesse. That's, that's mouth breathy Jesse. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, also, we never say this, but please give us a rating. Yeah, give us. Give us a rating. It's like, oh no, of your ben choice. Needs help. We never say this. No, I was just like, like and subscribe, but I don't know if that's a thing. But like and subscribe to our podcast channel. But no, give us ratings. That's really nice because one day we're going to be able to get MailChimp to throw us like 40 bucks to talk about. Damn it. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, we just want MailChimp. Or one of the yeah. other brands we care about. To better help. Yep. Uh, better chimps. Male help. <laughs> better chimps. Better chimps. <laughs> what the world needs now is better chimps. Are we good? You got, I'm getting yeah. delirious. Yeah. yeah, great work. All right. Um, All right. Happy COVID, Tom. Happy COVID. Thank you. Goodbye. Pretty soon I'm going to be famous. A little more famous than you. Certain people will greet my name with a proud and mighty Boo! And one glorious day my songs will be played at an airport chili's too.